Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The Lord hath forsaken me and my God hath forgotten me. How many times have we heard the Jewish people say that? The Holocaust and so forth. The Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. And God says, can a woman forget her sucking child? that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Forget the Jewish people? God says, how can I do that? They're permanently carved into the palms of my hands. God cannot look at his hands without remembering the Jewish people. How can God forget the Jewish people when they're graven in the palms of his hands? In Isaiah 44, 21, 44, 21, Isaiah 44, 21, he says, remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant, I have formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Romans 11, 28 through 29, as we already mentioned, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved of God, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. When God called the Jewish people, he knew all that they would do, and he says that he's not gonna change his mind, he will not be shocked out of his calling of the Jewish people to be his special treasure which is what he said in Exodus 19.5, Exodus 19.5, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. But whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And that applies to the Jewish people. He will bring them to himself, purifying his hard work for God, but he's gonna do it. And he says he's gonna be like the refiner that's sitting down and working hard, focused over his work of refining silver and gold, in Malachi 3.3, 3, the last word that God said to the Jewish people before the 400 years of great silence, but in Malachi 3.3, 3, he said, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. That's what makes verse one so precious. Because it's God saying, I know, I know, come home. Come on home, Jacob. Sometimes we're like Jacob. Sometimes we're like that. We, we feel so defeated. We've wandered away from God. And verse one says, we see God leading the wanderer back to himself. That was the time of Jacob's return, a complete return home. You know, Bethel's located about 30 miles away from Shechem, and it's in a higher 
uh, elevation. It says arise. So God told Jacob that he was to move on to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar unto God. And he explains, you remember, Jacob, when God appeared to you and you, you, you were running from the face of your brother, Esau. And so God tells Jacob that he's to make an altar. Go there and make an altar to God. Now what we see here is kind of interesting because you know God is telling Jacob, go make an altar. We see how God is helping this wandering Jacob to come home, come back to him. You know, if we have neglected the personal altar of worship, if we've neglected our daily Bible reading, time in prayer with God, there's no person who is more interested to see us get back on the right track than God himself. And just as God showed and guided and helped Jacob to get back to his altar, rebuild the altar that he built over 20 years ago. So God is gonna show us and guide us and help us to get back to our altar. It was over 20 years ago before Bethel that Jacob had given God this, this, remember, he gave him this checklist. And he said, okay, now I've got a checklist here and vows over here. And he he said that in Genesis 28, 20, Genesis 28, 20. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, then I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to wear, to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. This stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Well, Maybe Jacob forgot his checklist. Maybe he forgot his vow, but God didn't. And in verse one, God really what God is saying there when he says go make an altar, God is saying, hey Jacob, you remember that checklist that you gave me over 20 years ago? Let me just refresh your memory about it. You said, if God will be with me. That was the first item on your checklist. Well, Jacob, I've been with you and I'm with you now. So that means we can put a check mark, right? By that one, so check. And then the next one, if God will keep me in this way that I go. Well, Jacob, aside from a little limp that you've got, you look pretty well kept. (laughs) So that means we can put a check mark by that one on your list, so check. And then he said, if God will give me bread to eat. Well, Jacob, you look pretty well fed. (laughs) So that means we can put a check mark by that one on your list, check. If God will give me raiment to put on, well, Jacob, you don't look naked to me. So that means we can put a check mark by that one too on your list, so check. If God will make me come again to my father's house in peace, well, Jacob, looks like Esau brought you back to your father's house in peace. So that means we can put a check mark by that one on your list too, check. Well, that was all the items on your checklist. Every item, look at that, Jacob. Every item's got a check mark by it. So now it's time for you to do your part of the vow, which you said, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt surely give me, I'll surely give the tenth, I'll give unto thee. So that means that there are three items on your checklist, Jacob. Number one, God becomes your God. Such a great prize for God to have Jacob Eben as God. Boy, we're envious. So number two, the pillar set up 
in Bethel will be God's house, which is which is good because it gets pretty cold at night and God needs a house for shelter, you know, so I mean, that's nice. And number three, of everything that God gives you, you'll give a tenth back to him, which is also pretty good because God may be running a little short and needs to have you give back a tenth that he gave to him so God doesn't run out. Okay, so now it's time for Jacob to make good on the second item of his checklist of making this pillar that he had set up to be God's house. God's house is gonna be the place where Jacob's gonna meet with God. That's the altar. So God's helping Jacob live up to his end of the deal. God's helping Jacob to return to God. And God tells Jacob to keep this in mind how God appeared to you at that place. He appeared to you when you were running for your life. See, now when you think about it, it was over 20 years ago when God appeared to Jacob when he's talking about here, when he was running away from Esau. And so God is asking Jacob to remember something that happened over 20 years ago and to memorialize it. And there's a lesson in that. You know, in our lives, we have these infrequent times when we really sense the presence of God. And God does something really special for us. And those infrequent times, we are to hold on to, tell others about, memorialize it whatever way, I mean, there's a lesson behind this picture that's in front of us now where God is telling Jacob, Jacob, cherish the time when God appeared to you over 20 years ago. When Jacob dies, he's gonna see God all the time for eternity. But down here on earth, those infrequent times with great spans of time between them, that's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what it means to love without seeing. As the Lord said in John 20, 29, John 20, 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now, God reminds Jacob about what happened when he saw God there in Bethel says, he said that, go make the altar to when God appeared unto thee, now flesh in the face of Esau thy brother. And so by bringing up the issue of when he fled from the face of Esau's brother, it's as if God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, you remember that time? You remember that time when you fled? Jacob, you remember why you were fleeing from your brother? You lied to your father. You, 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 you remember? Remember why he was so angry? You tricked your father into blessing you. You remember who you impersonated? You impersonated your brother. And that's why you had to run for your life. You remember how Esau had vowed to kill you and you were running for your life? You remember how bad you were you know, before I saved your life from all of this? You remember what I saved you from? See, go make an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And we can see Jacob says, oh, why'd you have to remind me of all that? (laughs) I try to forget it. Go, Jacob, remember what I saved you from. And while you're building that altar, just remember how you gave me a checklist and said if I came through, the Lord would be your God. So just remember how I saved you when I was not your God. Because you said at that time, if you do all these things, 
then the Lord will be my God. So that meant that the Lord wasn't your God then. And I saved you during a time when I wasn't your God. And as we think about this, our only response is, oh, the grace of God. The grace of God. You know, the one speaking to Jacob here, this Jehovah Jesus, and about him it's written in John 1.17. John 1.17, the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, it's very easy for us to forget our lives we had before we were saved. We have to remember, Jacob has two names, Jacob and Israel. And God gave to Jacob the new name of Israel. Speaking of Jacob's life with God, it would be an Israel life with God. But God never stopped calling Jacob, Jacob. God never abandoned the name Jacob because God wanted Jacob to remember what God saved Jacob from. You know, and as Christians, we have two names. Our first name is Sinner, which is what we were before God saved us. And Paul took the, Paul took the, 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 the envied place of being the chief of sinners. But anyway, our second name is Saint. And that's what we have become in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should never forget what God saved us from, never. You know, I remember one time how I was going through some old pictures, you know, and, and I came across one of me when I was in high school in Switzerland. And oh man, I was, you know, just rebellious looking, you know, I looked like the West Side Story gang, you know, <laughs> with a beard and my foot up on the table at the school and smoking and trying to look tough. And I was so shocked when I saw the picture that I tore the picture up, you know, and then I didn't feel right about it. So I went to the trash can, got the pieces out and taped it back together <laughs> and wrote on it, but for the grace of God. <laughs> it's just good for us to remember the horrible pit that God saved us from. You know, when our boys were at home, you know, we, and a septic tank got used a lot. So every nine to 10 months, we had to clean out our septic tank at home. And every time we did that, the smell was so horrible. We always said the same thing. Oh, I forgot how terrible the smell was. Did that really come from us? You know? <laughs> so as we go on with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's so easy for us to forget what God saved us from. We shouldn't do that. So he says to Jacob, you go back, you remember all that. But God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, before you were at Bethel there, you made a pillar of memorial. It wasn't really an altar for worship. Now you need to return to that and it's now got to become an altar of worship. Okay, I understand. You put that stone up for the pillar, and I wasn't your God, so you know you're, there wasn't an altar for worship. But things have changed now. And so now you need to go back there and make that an altar for worship. Just like a person who comes to church before he's a Christian. I mean, he listens, he may pray, but not worship. Yeah? Because he's not gonna worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he's a seeker. Because only a true Christian can worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he's saved, and now all of a sudden the church is different for him. It's a place to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jacob knows that his first priority is to take control of this family. So he turns to his family, and for that matter, everyone that's under his roof, and he says in verse two, then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean, change your garments. So he realizes that where he has so drastically failed 
is in the spiritual leadership of his home. So he rises now to take the spiritual lead in his home. It's so, it's so easy for a man to not lead his house spiritually. You know, it's so easy for a man just to, you know, say, oh, I worked hard all day. I'm going to watch television. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to relax. I'll leave that to my wife and not to take the spiritual leadership in the home. But it's the father's role. It's the father's role to lead the family spiritually. The father should be leading the family in prayer. The father should be leading the family in devotions and making sure the family goes to church because he's going to church, not send them to church. Now, in verse two, where we read, then Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that among you and be clean and change your garments. He, Jacob is now addressing not just his family, but his whole caravan that they should put away the strange god, gods there. And this marks a big change for Jacob. And for that reason, this first word in this verse two, it's very important when it says then. You know, because when we read then, we ask when, you know, then, when. Well, what happened? Well, first of all, uh, in Jacob's life, this was a shock, what had happened in verse 20, in, in chapter 34. This is a shock. Jacob was shocked to have experienced personally the defilement of his daughter and to have experienced the awful crime of his sons and to have experienced his complete failure as a father and leader and now to experience how his family is now in danger of retribution from the Canaanites. So in short, Jacob is shocked to see the sinfulness in himself and the sinfulness in his family. That's what drove Jacob to take command of his family here. That's what drives us to a new level of repentance and holy living. It's when we see the sinfulness of our own hearts. Jacob now sees there's a connection here between the sin of his own heart and the sin of his family and these strange gods. He now sees that by not being the active spiritual leader in his house, he's been guilty of the sins of omission. He's omitted to be the the spiritual leader. He now sees with the crimes of his sons how they've been guilty of the sins of commission. I mean, and now as the head of the house, it's time for him to get right with God, confess his own sins to God, and command his house to get right with God. So when we read these words in verse two, then Jacob said unto his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods, we can see that Jacob is now commanding his household. And we see this emphasis in verse two. You see the emphasis on the word his. It's his household. And with him, it's those that are with him. And he's so he's got like, we got like two groups here. First, we got the group he's saying to the one group called his household. And he's like saying to them, look, you are my family and part of my household. And I will not tolerate for you to have these strange gods. So I command you, put those strange gods away. And then he's saying to the other part of his caravan group, called the all that were with them, you, and he says to them, look, you're with me, I will not tolerate for you to have these strange gods under my roof. I command you to put away these strange gods. Now, for a man who had just been stood down 
by, by his, his second and third born sons. This is a pretty bold move for Jacob. But Jacob was definite that if his sons or those that were with him did not want to be cut off from him, that they would have to put away the strange gods. And finally we see Jacob taking control of his family. We say, boy, well, better late than never. Then we read that Jacob here says, put away the strange gods that are with you. We say, strange gods in Jacob's family? What in the world? What's going on here? There's strange gods in Jacob's family? How could the family of God's people have strange gods in it? How could the leader of God's family have allowed strange gods in his home? So so he asked the first question, what are these strange gods? What are these things? Well, literally, the Hebrew doesn't read strange gods. Literally, the Hebrew reads, it reads gods of the foreigners, gods of the foreigner, gods of the stranger. And I'm not saying the strange gods is a bad translation of of Elohei Hanakor, but to me, it brings it out much clearer to translate it as gods of the stranger. So Jacob is saying, put away the gods of the stranger. He was saying, look at the people from whom those gods came from. Look at the immorality in their lives. They don't care how many sexual partners they have in their lifetime. The more, the better for them. Look at how they don't care about Jehovah in honoring him. The, 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 what you've got, you've got the gods of those stranger. They're not our God. So put them away from you. Now, the next shock in verse four is when it says, and in verse four, it says, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods. The fact that Jacob commanded both his household and those that were with him to put away these gods of the stranger the fact that they, then it says, they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods, it indicates to us that Jacob was, was, was looking at a lot of people when he said, I know you have those strange gods, so hand them over. And, and that leads to the next question, how did all those strange gods get in there? How did all those gods of the stranger get into Jacob's house? And the answer is, little by little, little by little, it appears to have started with Rachel in Genesis 31, 19. Genesis 31, 19, Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Those are the gods of the stranger. And, and at first, when Rachel had stolen her, fa- her father's gods, Jacob didn't know that she had stolen them. And so, you know, he actually pronounced her death in, in Genesis 31, 32, because he didn't know. He said, with whomsoever to Laban, he said to Laban, Jacob said to Laban, with whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live, only he didn't know it was a her, before our brethren, discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee, for Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. But then Jacob did come to know that Rachel had stolen them, and when Jacob found out Jacob did not take a stand at that time. Why? Because it was the woman he loved the most on earth that had taken the gods of the strangers. A 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.